Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, and tonight you've just got me. Nobody else is joining me next week. I think we're going to have Kayla back, and we're going to talk about something. Can't really promise what that's going to be, because sometimes it changes. Well, this evening, I am going to be talking about tithing. Now, I'm going over the subject, number one, because a friend of mine just recently asked me to go over it and talk about it. So here you go. Here's your answer. And we went over this back in March of 2020 on this podcast. So if you want to hear another example of me teaching on the same subject, I did that, but that was with me and Caleb. So we went for, I don't know, an hour, maybe an hour and a half, but you got to remember half of the information is probably nonsense and non-biblical garbage. And that's all the stuff that came up from uh, Rosebud, Texas on Caleb's behalf. And then I spent so much time trying to correct all of his doctrinal Bible mistakes that we might not have really covered much of the subject very well. So tonight we're going to go over it again and you're just going to get me. Now, something I should tell you is that I've got 10 pages of notes in front of me, uh, 12, well, I have 11 and a half. And I didn't really go over this and practice it, so I have a lot of information, and some of it might be a little bit, you know, jumbled, but we'll see how we do. So I'm going to start off with a joke. That's how bad this evening's going to be. So a commercial flight carrying eh, about 150 people is flying from Denver, Colorado to Salt Lake City, Utah, and shortly after takeoff, when the plane is climbing over the Rocky Mountains, the pilot senses some serious trouble and alerts the head stewardess that they will most likely crash land in the Rocky Mountains. The fastened seatbelt sign was still lit, so she quickly tells the passengers about the crash landing and how to prepare. Seeing the passengers are scared, and being a religious woman herself, the stewardess asks if there's a man of God on the plane, hoping someone can pray and comfort the passengers. A middle-aged, bald man raises his hand and says, I'm a Baptist preacher. The stewardess waves him up to the front where she tells him to comfort the people and hands him the microphone. Knowing he only has a couple minutes and his words might be the last, the passenger's here. He takes a deep breath and he says, we're going to take up an offering. Let's pray. Now, I find that joke to be hysterical. I know it's dry and I always give it to you in a dry fashion, but it's funny because we've all run into some church or some preacher where we feel that they're way too focused on money. So that's why it's funny because this guy is about to die with all these other people on a plane and he's taken up an offering and obviously that's not going to help any, anyone. So the T word, talking about tithe. I think it is the dirtiest word in Christianity, or at least that's what I think a lot of people think about it. Tithe means a tenth. That's it. That's what it means. Uh, We find the concept all over the Bible, all the way back in the book of Genesis. Moses talks about the tithe in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. The prophets talk about the tithe in Nehemiah, Amos, and Malachi. Solomon talks about it in Proverbs. Jesus talks about the tithe in the books of Matthew and Luke. And Paul brings it up in the book of Hebrews. The Bible says a lot about the tithe from cover to cover. The tithe 
is the amount of money the Christian is to give back to God. Now, I said that correctly. Give back to God. Let's look at this concept and see how it practically plays out. We are going to go over a lot of Bible, so I'm going to give you a whole bunch of verses about the tithe, and you can look them up or, you know, you can just listen to me. I'm going to read them all. Genesis chapter 28, verses 16 to 22. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it and called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was called Luz at the first. Just so you know, Bethel means house of God. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way, this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I am, sorry, I lost my place. This is terrible. Let's go back to verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God and this stone, which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house and all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the 10th unto thee. Now, although this is not the first verse in the Bible that talks about a tithe, I think it is the most clear verse explaining how it works. When I would teach this concept in my Sunday school class so many years ago, I would pick someone from the front of the class that's sitting there and I'd say, come on up here and I need some help. And, and what I would do is I would give them 10, $10 bills. I'd say, here you go, hold on to that. You're going to need it for this little uh, demonstration. And then what I would do is I would say, okay, now hold out your hand and I would have $1,000 bills. And I'd say, okay, I'm going to act as God and you're going to act as you. And this is how it works. And I would take a hundred dollars and I would put it in their hand and I'd say, there you go. Um, that is my provision for you. Now, whether that provision comes from the job you have and the work that you do, whether that provision comes from a sack of money that falls out of the sky, you were given $10 and they say, this is great. <laughs> I say, okay, but here's the catch. Uh, I want you to give me back 10 of those dollars. You get to keep 90 of them, 90% of every dollar, but I want you to give me back 10%. Is that okay with you? So the student in the Sunday school class obviously gladly hands me a $10 bill thinking he's going to keep the hundred. And I say, okay, and let's do this again. And I give him a hundred dollar bill and he gives me a $10 bill back. And I say, how do you feel about this deal? And he says, this is great. And I say, okay, and here's $300. And he gives me back 30. And we play this thing out for just a minute until he has a thousand dollars in his hand. And I have a hundred dollars in $10 bills in my hand. The explanation I give is a simple one. God never asks us to pay a tithe until he gives us money first. So if God doesn't give me 10 bucks, he'll never ask me to give him a dollar. 
I usually ask for all the money back at that point. My Sunday school class and, you know, and the people take their seat and they wish that they were going to keep all the money. During that exercise, you're going to have one of two ways you can look at the scenario play out. The fool is going to exclaim, how dare you, talking to God, as he shakes his fist in the air and he says, I should be able to keep all the money that God blesses me with. Who does God think he is asking for 10% back? The wise man says to God, I've got a pocket full of $10 bills. How many hundreds do you have? Now, this is the most important point when you're thinking about tithing, when you're learning about this subject. If you're a Christian that wants to know how this works and what the point is and how, you know, what does the Bible say about it? This is the most important point. This is it. You ready? God doesn't need your money. That's the most important point. The tithe is not about your money. It's about your heart. Jesus explains to us that our money demonstrates our heart. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What we all do is we spend our time and our money on what we love. I tell everyone, if you are married, you probably spend more money on your hobby than you want your spouse knowing about. I don't care if your hobby is golf or fishing or whatever your hobby is. It doesn't matter. You probably spend more money on the things surrounding that hobby than you want your spouse to know about. And that makes sense because you love that activity, whatever it is. I can tell more about a Christian and their heart from looking at their bank account than a lot of things in their life. Remember, Jesus said it, not me. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here's another point that's important to remember. God owns everything. And I can't make it any more plain than that. God's the creator. He literally made everything. He owns everything. The first two chapters of the book of Genesis explain the creation account. God made the sun, moon, stars, and planets. God made the dirt and the air. He made the planets and the animals. God made the people. In Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Guess what else God made? God made every ounce of gold under the earth. When asked how much gold there is in the world, the U.S. Geological Survey says about 244,000 metric tons of gold has been discovered to date. You can look that up. It's on the Department of the Interior U.S. Geological Survey website. 
Now, a metric ton is 1,000 kilograms, more than a what we're used to. Uh, it is 2,205 pounds. That means that at $2,000 an ounce, and I know that gold goes up and down, but for simple numbers, that's what we're going to use. A metric ton is worth just over $70.5 million. That means all the gold on Earth is worth $17.21 trillion. And guess who owns it all? God does. So don't forget that he also owns all the silver as well. The Bible puts it another way. In Psalm 50, verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. God owns everything. The point is what I started out by saying. God doesn't need your money. It has nothing to do with your money. The tithe has nothing to do with your money. And I know that's hard to wrap your head around because what I'm asking you to do is to trust God and the Bible when he says to give him 10 cents of every dollar that you earn or find on the ground and to give him $10 out of every $100. And that's hard for a lot of people. A lot of people don't want to do that. I'm just telling you that it... I'm just telling you that it is not about your money. Now, uh, let's see. God owns the cattle upon a thousand hills. Okay, so we're not ranchers. So I don't really know that much about trading livestock. Uh, we live on a small farm. We have raised animals, butchered, processed, and eaten them. And it's an expensive process, but the folks that own all those cows are definitely richer than I've ever dreamed of being. And God owning the cattle on a thousand hills is another way of saying that God is richer than my greatest imagination. I heard a man a uh, while ago complaining about money in church. And this guy doesn't go to church, but when he did, he couldn't figure out why God needed 10% of his money. The answer to the simple question is God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. Your money just shows us all where your heart is. Your money tells us when God has your heart. I'm going to give you another concept that I haven't heard taught on or explained too often. Tithing combats sin. You say, what, Patrick, are you saying if I tithe, I won't sin? Well, yeah, kind of, I am. And I don't know if tithing will help with every sin, but I know one big one it'll definitely help with, and that's part of the reason why God set tithing up. If we go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, we're going to read through the Ten Commandments. Now, we're not going to read through all of them. <laughs> I'm just going to go over them briefly. You have... Okay, so let's see. Ten Commandments. These are the ones written on the stone tablets. If you've, you know, if you've read through the book of Exodus or if you've seen Charlton Heston bring them down from the mountain. Um, the Lord thy God, no other gods before me. Number two, no graven images and any likeness. Heaven and earth on the earth beneath. Uh, number three, take the Lord, the name of the Lord God in vain. Don't do that. Uh, number four, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. 
Five, honor thy father and mother. Six, thou shalt not kill. Seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Eight, thou shalt not steal. Nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And ten, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, wife, manservant, maidservant, ox, ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Now, you can sort out these commandments in a number of ways. For example, the first four are about man's behavior towards God, while the last six are man's behavior towards another man. In this chapter, um, <laughs> in this section, I should say, we are not going to be looking at the first nine. We're going to be looking at number ten. The first nine are sins of action, worshiping other gods, making idols, bowing down to the idols, taking the name of the Lord in vain, neglecting the Sabbath, dishonoring your parents, killing, committing adultery, stealing, bearing false witness. All of these are sins of action. You are breaking a law based on your actions. This is not so with the 10th commandment. The 10th commandment is only broken in my heart. Nobody knows that I've broken the 10th commandment. Or nobody has to know. Covetousness. To covet, to desire or wish for with eagerness, to desire earnestly, to obtain or possess in a good sense, to desire inordinately, to desire that which is unlawful, to obtain or possess in a bad sense. Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Covetousness is an inward sin. Guess how we combat that sin of the heart? We pay our tithe. You want to cover, covet your neighbor's motorcycle? Just stop tithing and save that 10%. Instead, pretty soon you'll be able to buy it for cash. Most of the extra things in this world that I'd just like to have could be bought with the money I owe God every couple weeks. <clears throat> Excuse me. The man who faithfully pays his tithe doesn't covet. Now, you, you still might. I'm just saying that the tithe is there to combat that sin. The man that pays his tithe has a biblical understanding of money. It is not here to consume upon our lusts. Money is a tool that God uses to see who we are and what we're made of. Let's get some more Bible in here. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. You know what? I'm not going to jump into that verse other than to show that kind of the patriarch that started it all, Abraham, he paid his tithe of all, of everything that he had. When you read through the book of Genesis, you find out that Abraham was one of the most obscenely wealthy men, certainly up to that point in the world. We're not going to go any further. We got a lot of information to go through and... We're almost halfway through. The tithe proves our faith. The tithe is proof of a believer's faith and trust in God. 
when you read through the Old Testament, you find out very quickly in Genesis and in Exodus that the Israelites were shepherds. From the book of Genesis up until the night Jesus was born, they were shepherds. God set up the way these shepherds would pay their tithe back on Mount Sinai when Moses received the Ten Commandments. We read about this in Leviticus chapter 27, verses 32 through 34. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it. And if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments which the Lord God commanded Moses for the children of Israel in Mount Sinai. So the way it worked is that every year the sheep and the goats would kid in Israel. They would have baby sheep and baby goats. The shepherd needed to pay their tithe. Uh, They would not pay their tithe in the same way that we do. We use a fiat currency for our economy. So we do it differently than they did it back then. They would gather up all the new goats and sheep, and they would run them through a corral, and the shepherd would stand there with his rod and count to ten. Every tenth animal was the Lord's. They would take that animal out of the line and set it aside. The problem was that the animals funneled into the corral in whatever order they wanted. And the Bible talks about that in Leviticus. It says you're not allowed to mess with this order and you're not allowed to switch animals around. So the kind of animal you'd want to save in order to breed it with other animals was going to be the big, strong healthy animal and sometimes that was the 10th animal that you had to give to God so you would think boy it'd be a shame to give that one to God maybe I could give God the three-legged sickly looking ram behind the big strong one but it's at that moment that we demonstrate our faith and our trust in God And God explains it in the book of Leviticus. You're not allowed to mess with the order of these animals. Otherwise, I get both of them. The sickly one that you were going to give me instead of the strong one. I get them both. All right, let's look at another bit of Bible here. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. We are not supposed to trust in God. And I'll tell you what, verses like this one hit me right between the eyes. Our family is a single-income family of eight. And at the time of this podcast, my family is made up of me, my wife, and six kids. Out of my six kids, five of them are boys, and out of my five boys, three of them are teenagers. And two of them eat like fully grown men coming off a 40-day fast. Our monthly grocery bill is more than most people pay for their mortgage or their rent. And most men can understand the stress of being a husband and a father and having to provide. Our job is to bring home the bacon. And there are times when there's just a little bit more month at the end of the money. And what we want to do during those times is not pay God. We want to keep that money for ourselves because we're scared and we think we might need it. And I'll be honest with you, there have been times when 
I have had to, I got paid and I had to write that check for my tithe. And I did the math. And I'm like, all right, if I write that check, I won't be able to pay all my bills that I have stacked up in front of me. Everyone's going to run into that situation at some point. Every time I get paid, I have to answer a question. Am I going to pay God the 10% I owe him or not? Now, if you've been following this podcast for any amount of time, if you come to my church, if, if you've watched me on any videos, if you've heard me talk about the Bible, then you already know that I'm the crazy guy who believes that blessings follow obedience. I'm going to say that again. Blessings follow obedience. My wife and I have had tough times in our marriage where we could not pay all the bills and pay our tithe. It wasn't a comfortable decision, but I can tell you it was an easy one. And I believe that God would take care of us in that situation. I just needed to be obedient because it is God that feeds and clothes me and my family. I believe that with all my heart. I don't believe that it's my hard work. Now, God uses that as his means. God doesn't oftentimes just have money fall from the sky. Although I can tell you that I have walked down the street and found a $20 bill. I can tell you that I found a $100 bill because I've done that many times. And I don't know where it came from. And it blows me away that I'm the one that looked down on the ground and picked it up. But it was great. And it was timely. And I needed it. But I'm not the one that has to clothe me and my family and feed them. And we read about that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The birds don't worry about what they're going to eat, and the flowers don't worry about what they're going to wear. God takes care of them both, and think about how much more he loves us. My job, as Jesus says, is to seek first the kingdom of God and not worry about the money. Now, I know that's not normal, and I know that's not easy. And friends, I am never going to ask you to do what's normal and easy. 
That's not what the Bible is. From cover to cover, God asks us to do what is difficult and to do things that are completely outside of our comfort zone. That's what God asks of us again and again and again. I lost my spot. Verse 27 says, worrying won't make me taller. So I hold to the idea that if I'm praying and I'm worrying, I'm doing one of them wrong. Now let's go back to the Ten Commandments and have a look at commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Excuse me for coughing and burping and hiccuping right in the middle of that. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Here we go. Pretty simple, right? Do all your work Sunday through Friday, but take off Saturday. Rest, enjoy your family, remember God. Sounds wonderful. After all, God rested after the creation week, and if God rested one day in seven, we should too. And keep in mind, folks, this isn't a message about the Sabbath, but there's a point here that we need to take God gets to show us that we will accomplish more in six days than if we were to work seven days a week. I'm not going to tell you that that makes sense. I'm saying it is a supernatural miracle of God that we get to see every week. When we pay our tithe, God tells us, that our 90% will go further than if we kept 100% of the money. And again, I know that doesn't make sense. I'm not saying it does. What I'm saying is it is a supernatural miracle of God that we get to see every week. Now, going over the Sabbath, did you know that God wants the land to rest as well? God wants the land to rest one year in seven. So let's turn to everyone's favorite book for a second. That is the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard, that which groweth of its own accord, of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. Now, that is a tall order. Back on Mount Sinai, when Moses was getting the Ten Commandments, he got about 
600 additional commandments. There were a lot. The nation of Israel lived and died by what God said. They didn't always do a good job of obeying God, and that's mostly what we read in the Old Testament, but neither do I. The Jews were told when they get into the land of Canaan, every seventh year they were to not plant the field, prune the vineyard, or sow any crops that came up. They were to leave the land fallow. It was God's land, and he wanted it to get a rest. Notice in verse 2 of Leviticus chapter 25, it was the land which I give you. Remember, it's God's land, and he makes the rules. The first time I heard about this and read through this, I thought, what are they going to (laughs) eat? After all, back in 1400 BC, Israel didn't have much of a tech sector. Their light industry and manufacturing wasn't really keeping their economy afloat. They were agrarian. The only way they ate was growing plants. Even the herds needed supplemental straw, which was sown and harvested. How was the nation of Israel going to make it? Well, God had a plan, and we can read about that. Let's pick it up in verse 19 of Leviticus 25, the same chapter. And the land shall yield her fruit, and you shall eat your fill, and dwell therein in safety. And if you shall say, what shall we eat the seventh year? Isn't that funny? I just asked the question back in verse 5. Like, man, what are these guys going to eat? Before the end of the chapter, God answers it. Then I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years. And you shall sow the eighth year and eat yet of old fruit until the ninth year, until her fruits come in, you shall eat of the old store. Wow. That will surely test someone's faith. And you and I are debating whether to put a buck in the offering plate because of the $10 bill we found on the street while walking to church. Imagine being an Israelite, a father and you're in the seventh year, and your family shows up in Canaan land, God has an opportunity to show you a supernatural miracle on par with the parting of the Red Sea, and God said he would show you this miracle every seven years. Obeying God for this one is going to be tough. I'm really going to have to demonstrate some faith. And God explains clearly that he will supernaturally supply all of my need. He said that farming the land in six years will produce more than if you were to farm it in seven. Guess what? Same principle. Keeping 90% of the money God gives us will go further than if we kept 100% of it. God will supernaturally supply my need. He will provide and I will rely on him. Now, you know what? That's just how God wants it. God wants to provide our every need. So here's the challenge. 
There is one place in the entire Bible where God gives us a command, explains how we will bless us if we obey, and then he dares us to comply. Only one place in the whole Bible where God does this, and that's with our tithe. Let's go to the last book in the New Testament, the Italian prophet Malachi. So Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, we read, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, this whole chapter is a great chapter, and there's a lot of great things you can talk about and great messages you can preach on it, but what we want to focus on is verse 10. God challenges us to bring him our tithes and see if he doesn't, quote, pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God also says, quote, prove me now herewith. God is saying, I dare you to obey. Go ahead and test me. I think that's awesome. I took God up on this challenge about 20 years ago. My wife and I still consider this to be the most important factor for financial stability in the home of any Christian. My thoughts on the matter are simple. I want the blessings of God in my life, especially related to my finances. Therefore, I'm going to do what God says to do if I want a blessing so big that I don't have room to receive it. The first time I learned about tithing, you ready for this? I was mad, steaming mad. I had been going to church for about two years when I heard the preacher teach us all about tithing. The pastor of the church brought in a financial expert, and this guy was loaded and he traveled around the country teaching people in churches about getting out of debt and getting on a budget and financial planning and tithing. And it was, it was very helpful. He started this whole lesson with tithing. Up until that point, I had never heard of tithing. I got so mad, I almost screamed out a curse right there sitting in church. I wasn't mad at this fella for the subject. I was mad at all the people that never told me about tithing. I had sat under pastors and Sunday school teachers and preachers for almost two years. People leading Bible studies I attended and all my new Christian friends over the past couple of years. None of them told me about tithing. And I thought to myself, I could have been receiving blessings from God this whole time. Why didn't anyone tell me? Now, you might not believe this, <coughs> but it is a fact. When I lead someone to the Lord, I tell them, now, you're saved. First thing we need to do after salvation is we need to get you baptized. After that, I explain tithing. It's one of the first lessons I teach them. Because I want them getting blessed of God. And I want them getting blessed of God as soon as possible. All right, now we're going to get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts about tithing. And we're going to eat up the last eh, 20 minutes of this thing. 
going over this. So how do we tithe? Number one, where does it go? It goes to the church of which you are a member. I know not everyone believes this. And for that matter, not everyone even believes in a local church or church membership. And if you don't, then okay, I there's going to be some issues. Please go back and refer to my podcast that go over a local church and church membership. And you'll see that it's in the Bible and it's important. There are reasons for it. To keep from getting off into the weeds, let's assume we are all starting from the point that we are members of a church. Here's the idea. I don't get a say in what my tithe goes to. I write a check to my local church and that's it. I'm obedient. I hope it is spent wisely, but that has nothing to do with my obedience to God's word. That's it. I write the check. I'm blessed of God. I do get a say in offerings, however. An offering is not a tithe. It's different. Bible talks about both. An offering is whatever I give to God above and beyond my tithe. I can give my offering to whatever I want. I get to designate where my offerings go and how much I give. Personally, I only consider it an offering when it is going to a biblically sanctioned person or idea. What I mean is my wife and I give 10% of every dollar we earn, find, or receive. We also donate to many other causes. I donate to the NRA, but I don't consider that an offering. It's simply a tax-deductible donation. I give money to a variety of ministries, Christian camps and local food pantries. I give money to individuals like widows and orphans, missionaries and pastors. I give money to institutions like a new church startup or a Christian school. And I consider all of these things offerings. When I give an offering, I give the amount I choose and I give it to the person or place I choose. But my tithe goes to my local church. I have been a Christian now for over 20 years, an assistant pastor and ministry leader for over a dozen, and now the head pastor of a church for two years. And I have always given my tithe to my local church. Let's go over net gross and increase. Some preachers say to give out of your gross income. That is income before taxes are taken out. Some preachers say you give out of your net income. That is your income after taxes are taken out. Both of those preachers are wrong. The Bible says we are to give out of our increase. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. So in the Proverbs there it says, all thine increase. Remember, we want our barns filled with plenty. That's what I'm hoping and praying for. So... We are to give God out of all our increase. So let's explain this. There are several ways I get things. Money is one of those things. 
Most of us typically get money in the form of a paycheck. We work for a company and we receive a paycheck every week or two. The company sends some of our money off to Uncle Sam, the federal government. Some can also go to the state and local governments. What we put into our bank account is our net income, but we owe God 10% of our increase. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, the first fruits. The point is simple. We are to pay God first. To give you a semi-quick example, there are seven tax brackets in America today. The more money I make, the greater percentage I have to pay to the government in taxes. Great, isn't it? The middle tax bracket is 24%. That means $24 out of every 100 I earn goes to the government. That gets taken out whether I like it or not. On top of taxes, I also owe God 10%. And I need to give God 10% of what I was increased. So how much was I increased? Well, $100 in this example. If my income taxes go up or down, it doesn't change how much I was increased. It only changes how much I get to keep. But remember, I need to pay God first out of the $100. So if you don't like what I've said so far, you are really going to hate this next part. Does the company I work for provide me a cell phone that I can use? That's an increase. By that, I mean that if they didn't provide me with a cell phone... I would have to buy and use my own. So I need to pay God for that. I need to pay God 10% of what I was increased. It doesn't matter how I was increased, just that I was. With the cell phone, I simply answer this question. How much would that cell phone and plan cost me if I had to pay for all that? Well, I owe God 10% of whatever that number is. The fool says, how dare you ask me to pay 10% of this perk? The wise man says, this is great. I get a 90% discount on my cell phone plan. Does the company I work for provide me with a company vehicle? What about a gym membership to a local gym? Do they match money I put into my 401k? Whatever they provide me with, I don't have to pay for myself. That's an increase. And I owe God 10% of that. If I don't want to pay my tithe, I can always give the perk back. If I want to be blessed of God, then I need to take these things seriously. I don't just get to tithe off of some stuff once in a while. That's not tithing. If you ever said to yourself, well, I pay my tithe when I can afford it, what you should say is, I don't tithe. That would be accurate. What about a $20 bill I find on the street? I pay God $2. What about when my buddy takes me out to lunch? To the best of my ability, I figure out what it would cost me plus tip, and I give God 10% of that amount. Once again, the fool says, how dare you say I have to give God 10% when my buddy takes me out to lunch on my own birthday? The wise man says, I just saved 90% of this meal. At this point, someone is thinking, I'm going overboard with the whole idea. They say, surely God doesn't care that much about numbers and percentages, right? 
so long as I give willingly and with a good spirit. Personally, I think that idea is unbiblical, but also stupid. God, the guy who owns everything, says, just try me, just try and outgive me. I take that challenge seriously. And by the way, God does concern himself with numbers. He wrote a book called Numbers. Now, the best part about this portion of the lesson is that I really don't care what you do. It's between you and God. It will not affect me at all. I bring it up because I've been trying to outgive God for 20 years, and it is not working. I am losing. God gives me more blessings than I can handle year after year. God already challenged you. Now I'm challenging you. Test me and see if it works. Do it for one year. Your faith will be tested at times, but you'll never want to go back to the way you were giving. That's a promise. Once I was given a new suit. Another time I was given a new pair of dress shoes. These are all simple and straightforward. What happens when you are given a really large gift? You think, eh, it'll never happen. Well, start tithing and wait and see. When I was first married, I started a construction company I still own and operate. It's small, but it provides me and my family the majority of our income. And my father wanted to help me, and he asked me what I needed. And he didn't really ask me. He asked my friends and my family because he was concerned I wouldn't be straight with them. Uh, I would say we were doing great and I didn't need anything, and he took me shopping for an enclosed trailer I could use to haul around all my tools. And by the end of the day, I had a new enclosed trailer. It was a smaller one. It was about 12 feet long, single axle, but it was an amazing help to my new business. I mean, this really helped me out. Plus, I was newly married with our first kid on the way, and we were pretty broke. Broke enough where I didn't have $400 to pay the tithe on the $4,000 trailer that was hooked up onto my truck. I got on my knees that night and thanked God and asked him if it would be okay if I paid him 50 bucks a month until I had my tithe paid off. I felt good about that. The only other option was to sell something to get the cash freed up. I did not think that selling something was what God wanted me to do. But keep in mind, you can follow your own convictions when you run into a situation like that. All right, tithing as a small business owner can be simple and straightforward. Now, I'm a general contractor, and I own a plumbing, heating, and cooling company. And... My company is, I'm a sole proprietor, so understand that the business and Patrick Hayes are the same as far as tax purposes go. It's not like it is a corporation and I'm a 1099 employee of that. I and the company are the same. So let's say a comp, uh, an individual wants to hire me to install a new furnace and air conditioning system, and I give them a bid for $2,000 and they say, let's do it. I buy all the equipment, the furnace, the coil, the condenser, the line set, along with the gas line wiring, new thermostat, and whatever, and I end up paying a total of $1,000 in materials. The remaining $1,000 is profit. 
And just for the record, a new furnace and air conditioning system cost way more than that. We're just using simple numbers. Here's how I do it. I have two bank accounts. One is my personal checking account. The other is my business checking account. All the checks that come in from customers go into my business account. I pay for all the materials out of that account. I don't need to tithe off of the $2,000 check that I received from the air conditioning job just off of the profit because that's what I was increased. Remember, they sold me a furnace. I sell it to the customer. Okay, there's no, there's not a profit there. At the end of the job, all the money left over after I pay for all the materials, that's the profit. That's the, that's what I was increased. I continue to put all the checks I receive from my customers into my business account. And at the end of the month, I pay off all my supply houses with a check from my business account. A supply house, for those of you that don't know, is the place where I buy all my materials. A lot like a Home Depot or a Lowe's, but for licensed professionals. At the end of the month, I transfer $5,000 over to my personal checking account, and I immediately write a check to my church for $500, 10% of the $5,000. I use the remaining $4,500 I have left in my personal checking account to pay my mortgage, utility, cell phone, gas in the car, groceries, yada, yada, yada. Basically, all my bills other than business materials that went to a job. So for me, I simply have two accounts. One account is money that has not been tithed on, and that's what I use for business expenses. And then the other is money that has been tithed on, and that's what I use to spend on everything that I live on. I hope that made sense. I went over it kind of quickly, but it's very easy for me. I just keep the money separate. I do not spend business money on anything other than business expenses. And that way I am only tithing off of my, what I'm increased, my profit at the end of every job. Okay, let's go over the last point and we're going to be done. We're at 54 minutes and 12 seconds. Let's see if we can fit this in at the end of the hour and we'll be done. All right, the whole reason we do it. Let me give you a little story here at the end. The collection plate passed an old man and he put in $300 into the plate. And he bent over and cupped his hand while he whispered to the money, I'll see you in heaven. People sitting close to him thought he was going crazy. Now, I'm here to tell you that that old man has a better grasp on giving than anyone I've ever met. Our last church service that we had here, we had a missionary who came and visited with his wife and his two-year-old son to present their work. He was the fifth missionary we took on for support. Our little church, we don't even have five families that are members of the church. What we do have are a lot of people who give to our church. And last week, I reminded everyone why we give and why we support missionaries. When I get to heaven, I will want to find a couple of people that I need to thank. The guy that gave me my first Bible. A waitress who prayed for me to get saved for years when I was a little boy. And the preacher who gave me a clear gospel message. I want to thank each of them for their part in my salvation. 
All of those people will have a line of folks wanting to thank them because they all put effort into sharing the gospel with people. Our goal as a church is to form a line so long it reaches the horizon. And that line will be in heaven and it will be made up of all the people who got saved because of the missionaries we sent around the world. And just like me, they will all want to say thank you for sending someone to bring the light of the gospel to my home. That's the whole reason we do it. Remember, folks, tithing has nothing to do with money. It really doesn't. And I'm not going to be able to convince you to do it, although I will challenge you to give it a try and step out in faith, even if you don't want to do it and even if you don't think it'll work. I can absolutely tell you to pray and tell God, I'm doing this because the Bible says to. I'm being obedient, stepping out in faith, because I don't want to do it, and I don't believe it's going to work. There's nothing wrong with being honest when you pray to God. I will promise you that you will be blessed and you will be grateful that you took up this challenge. The reason I know this is because every one of my friends and family and church members that take this challenge, they are truly grateful for what God does in their life. They are truly blessed, and they have come to believe, and really through experience come to know, that the promises of God's blessing that we read about in the Bible are true. You just got to give it a go. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us here on the Bible Thumper podcast where somebody's got to say it. And if you are watching the video on Facebook or YouTube Live, please be sure to check out the QR codes on the side of the screen. Just scan one of those with your phone and it'll bring you to our podcast on Google, Spotify, Apple. We're also on Audible, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Blueberry. Oh, there's another one or two, I forget. But please get on our podcast and follow it. If you're not on our YouTube channel, please go there, subscribe, hit that little bell so you get a notification whenever our uh, videos come up. And I really do appreciate everybody uh, that's been watching this video, Beverly, Karen, uh, Sharon, uh, a couple folks that uh, don't have their name up there. I'm not sure who you are, but we appreciate all those folks that watch the video live and comment. And don't forget, you can always get on these videos and and leave a comment or ask a question, and I'll do my best to answer them. And uh, please share these videos around. Please share the podcast around. Help us spread this message. And just remember, uh, we will always be doing better if we obey the Bible. And blessings always follow obedience. You folks have a good night, and we will catch you next Friday night for our live church service, and then every Sunday night here on the Bible Thumper podcast. Have a good week.